This is episode 133 of The Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. As entrepreneurs and small business owners, we have the capability to create solutions that promote positive social change. We can promote diversity and inclusion, distribute wealth, create opportunities for people, and provide for our team and community in ways that enable their flourishing. Pam Slim joins me today to jam about the power of small business as a vehicle for social change and that being that change may not have the cost many people believe it will. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hey, Creative Giants. I'm pumped to reintroduce you to Pamela or introduce you to Pamela. Um, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She's a dear friend. Um, she's a soul sister. She's one of my co-mentors, and she's also a partner um, in some of the projects that we've been working on for, I don't know, nine years or so now. Pam Slam is an award-winning author, speaker, and business consultant who has been an entrepreneur for 20 years. Her passion for career and organizational development spans many different work modes and client engagements. A former director of training and development at Barclays Global Investors in San Francisco, she spent the first 10 years of her business as a consultant to large companies such as Hewlett-Packard, Charles Schwab, and Cisco Systems, where she worked with thousands of executives, managers, and employees. In the last 11 years, she's helped hundreds of people to start and grow successful businesses. She built a powerful online presence at Escape from Cubicle Nation, a site designed for corporate employees who wanted to make the shift to entrepreneur. At Escape, Pam developed and taught business building courses for thousands of entrepreneurs. She has worked with companies serving the small business markets such as Infusionsoft, Kahuna Accounting, and Citrix. In August 2016, Pam opened Ka, a place to grow small business in downtown Mesa, Arizona. In this space, she conducts workshops, features master classes from experts, and supports her local small business community. Pam is frequently quoted as a business expert in press, such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Information Week, Money Magazine, and Psychology Today. Pam is a passionate martial artist who practiced the Afro-Brazilian capoeira for 11 years in San Francisco, where she was executive director of Amalo Capoeira Group, a nonprofit martial arts organization. She studied mixed martial arts with Edward Kelly Fiore in Arizona, receiving her black belt in July 2013. Pam's latest book, Body of Work, Finding the Thread that Ties Your Story Together, gives a fresh perspective on the skills required to thrive in the new world of work. And her first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, won Best Small Business Entrepreneur Book of 2009 from 800 CEO Read. Pam, thanks so much for joining me again. You know, it's it's one of those things to where with you, I always feel the magic because I never quite know where the conversation is going to go, but I know <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, so thanks so much for joining me again there. I am so happy to be here. I miss you so very much and all of your creative giants and your community. So I'm super happy to be here. Yeah. So, 
you know, we have many shared loves, um, but one of our shared loves is supporting the small business market. And by the small business market, we don't just mean online entrepreneurs, not that there's anything wrong with that. We don't just mean brick and mortar businesses. We don't mean itty business. We mean this sector of businesses where, um, you know, we're talking, um, they can, they could be up to 500, but I really want to say that there are these small businesses that are the lifeblood of communities. Um, that are that are founded on a lot of grit and, and bootstrappiness and passion and dreams, and you know, you know, as we were talking about this before, a lot's changed since November, right? Uh, it feels like a lot's changed, um, and it feels like in a lot of ways that there are vacuums or there might be vacuums that are happening as far as services, as far as support, especially when it comes to um, people from diverse communities. But we're also looking at, you know, potentially American, the American Care Act um, or ACA, Affordable Care Act, um, doing different things. And now's a time where I think we have multiple choices, right? I think one choice is to sort of bunker down and, and be afraid. Um, and I think another choice is to buckle down and get to work. And I think we're both the buckle down and let's get to work thing. Um, so um, I, I kind of want to talk about this because as I've been watching with um, your community center, and I always, I know the way it's pronounced, but I'm always scared when I pronounce it that I'm going to pronounce it. You, you don't have to be, you don't have to be scared. Let me just, let me just clear the air for you because I don't always get it right. And I've been married to my Navajo husband for 15 years, yeah. but it, you can pronounce it. Ke. So think K-E-H is a good way of thinking about it. Ke. There's a, there's a little added catch there that if Daryl were here, he would give you the full flow, but um, yes, it's my brand new small business incubator that's in downtown Mesa. And I'm just saying amen all over, uh, not sitting around being scared and saying, we have so many positive reasons, critical reasons right now to get this sector moving. Absolutely. And I think going back to one of our previous conversations a long time ago, I, I think one of the things that ties us both to entrepreneurship is that um, being entrepreneurs, being small business owners, allows us to change the status quo or at least not accept the status quo. And in a time like this, we also um, can see the status quo go in a certain direction that we don't like and saying, you know what, um, we don't like that. We're going to have to step up, maybe change our businesses, maybe hire different people, maybe provide benefits that the government did not, right, or might not. So um, I kind of want to put that out there. And um, like, as I was saying about, um, let's see, it's ka? No. Okay. Um, I told you I was going to do it wrong. But what I, what I really appreciate about it is, you know, there are different stances. Some people can go really vocal about what's going on, but I've seen you at least publicly take less of a vocal opposition perspective, but more of a, I'm going to do the work through your business and through the community center. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, I, I was inspired to open up a brick and mortar space. Um, really, it's probably been building for a long time, but I've, I've been, I was in an office. So I was in an outside office, thanks to you, a conversation I had with you like seven years ago. Wow. <laughs> I realized yeah. I needed to get out of the house and uh, away from my cute yet very um, 
busy toddlers who were interrupting me when I was working. And so I had been in an outside office, but when I did my 15, uh, I'm sorry, my 25 city tour in 2015 in the fall, I was teaching community building skills to entrepreneurs all around the country and really having this wonderful experience of going to all these locations and feeling the vibe of what happens when people from a local community are able to connect together. Because you and I know one of our greatest joys in the world is connecting people virtually to each other so that we all feel like we're part of this bigger, really strong community. And and you and I worked for many years together in Liftoff, which was a retreat we did in person, but every most people who participated lived in all different places in the world. You know, so there's something cool about connecting people virtually, but when you connect with people in person, it's super powerful. And um, when they're all living in the same area, I just started to see these these examples of communities that were really doing very specific deliberate things to be building the capacity of their community, to be reaching out in different ways, to be connecting. And so when I was processing that, all of that was really kind of research for for the book that I'm working on. But it also really got me thinking, and especially now that my kids are 9 and 11, about what it is that I was really doing in my local community that was based on creating a positive experience for my kids. Um, For those who may not know, my husband is Navajo, and so our kids are Navajo and Anglo. And um, when I was on the tour, I actually asked everybody in each city how many people had ever seen a Native American business speaker at a business conference who was not entertainment, but was actually a speaker as an expert on stage. And of the seven, 800 people that, that I reached throughout that tour, seven people total had ever seen a Native American business speaker. So I believe really strongly, and I know you share this, Charlie, because we've talked about this a lot, that an important part of people feeling like they have a right and a path to do work is seeing people who look like them, who come from a similar background, who have lived experiences that are similar in a position of leadership and authority and power. And it's very concerning to me as a parent of Navajo children of thinking about what it is that that their life is going to be. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, what am I doing to be building the capacity of our local Native American business community? How am I really building bridges between people so that more people are aware of the great talent that's there? And beyond that, how am I reaching out to other marginalized communities um, within Mesa, Arizona, where I live? And so like a lot of things just began to, to spin. And I saw having a physical space that literally is right in the middle of Main Street, it's just smack in the center of downtown, could be a place that was welcoming, warm, friendly, um, and incredibly revolutionary in terms of us just being able to do exactly what it is that we want to do, regardless of what it is that's happening in in the bigger picture. So you're right. That was a, you know, I am extremely passionate about what's happening. I'm concerned about a lot of the things that are happening in our country and the people who are directly affected by it. And because of the way that I'm wired, I want to just start to do things about it. That's where I get my energy as opposed to just talking about it. Absolutely. And 
what I want to say here is that there are all sorts of ways that one can be involved in some of these conversations. And um, Pam, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on air, but one of the things that that we've been doing for years, you and I both, um, and I actually credit more you being intentional about this and, and really kicking me into gear about it, is like when we're um, recommending panelists or when we're going to events and conferences, um, asking the questions about diversity and inclusion, like, hey, like, have you thought about like maybe not having the entire speaker lineup be people who look the same, right? Or proactively keeping a file of people who are doing great work who happen to be from a diverse background. Yeah. And so when people are looking for things, we're not just saying like, you know, and, and we, we tease about Chris's, we, we know a lot of Chris's, but you know, it's, it's one of those things like, how are we expanding the reach of, of thought leaders to be more inclusive and more, um, more intentionally inclusive and not just have the same lineup of Chris's. I, I pick on Chris's all the time, but you know, <laughs> the same lineup of people who um, are coming from largely a, a similar tradition, largely some, and, and you know, what I like about what you're doing in the space, and this also reminds me of the, of the keynote that you gave at Camp GLP hmm. was that I think a lot of people don't understand what it's like to walk in a skin to where you never really know if you belong in certain places, mm-hmm. right? Because as someone, um, you know, with a multiracial background, I can tell you I walk into space and it's one of those unconscious things of, do I belong here? Yeah. Is this going to be a safe place for me? Right. Um, and that's a question that plagues a lot of, of people is going to plague your kids in a lot of ways, right? We've talked about that too. Yeah. Where you go, do I belong here? And to create spaces to where they walk in the front door and they see their culture, they see people like them, that it immediately says, I belong here. I have something that I can contribute. I can turn off that noise of, of always trying to fit myself in. It's huge. It's hugely powerful. And we do that in several ways. One is creating spaces. Another is um, being insistent and intentional about the spaces that we go to reflecting the communities that exist in that space. Mm-hmm or reflecting the community that we want to be a part of two different ways. I just want to slide that out there because not everyone has to run and start their own business, local business. <laughs> not everybody is so crazy to do that with like two weeks notice. I was, I'm in, I have dear friends of mine here, Susan Byer and Chris Lee, who we meet every two weeks, you know, as a mastermind. And we were sitting inside the space. This is before we had done any physical stuff to it. I think I'd already launched my Indiegogo campaign and they looked at me and they were like, you do realize that two weeks ago, we had no idea you were even doing this project, right? So <laughs> you told me like four days before the Indiegogo was going live. And I was like, what? <laughs> Seriously? This is cutting it close even for you, Pam. <laughs> uh, some days I wonder, you know, some days I wonder. So you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, there, there are so many interesting dimensions to um, the power of creating places in person, online, in our homes, in our communities, on soccer fields, like everywhere, right? Where, where people feel warm and welcome. And it is, I'm, I'm coming off the massively invigorated side of it, right? I think very often we, we think of, you know, um, oh my gosh, you know, a lot of people feel like, oh, there's all this work that I have to do or, you know, in, in order to be building these communities. And I'm sitting back going, man, my life has gotten so much richer, so much deeper. 
that the level of awareness that I have gained about my own life, about history, about truth. I mean, it's just, it's deep and wonderful and horrifying, right? Also in kind of recognizing that a lot of the things that we've been taught are not true. On the other side of that, you see a lot of the things we've been taught are not true. (laughs) And there's this total amazing strength that exists from so many different places. So there's, there's a side to, to the community building, which is um, really powerful and from a straight up small business perspective of getting to know people from different neighborhoods, getting to know people from different markets, figuring out creative ways in which you can be selling things in a different way, you know, than when you're always looking at the same thing. I just think there's huge opportunity. Every amount of research that we we see about what's happening in the small business sector is huge, tremendous growth in the sector in general, huge, tremendous growth within specific demographics, like within the Latino populations, African-American populations, Asian-American populations, gay, lesbian, transgender populations, in terms of specific kinds of tracks of where people are looking for, you know, businesses, not to mention a whole bunch of other folks, you know? So, um, so there really is tremendous opportunity that's there. I, I read one of the statistics that just totally got me going was that 53% or, or that the small business sector generates 53% of the non-farm U.S. gross domestic product. 99.7% of new jobs are created by small business. And this, this was from 2000. 15 report done by the Small Business Administration. So I was thinking about those figures and I was like, holy crap, like you said, the small business sector in certain governmental classifications can be defined a lot bigger than you and I and maybe a lot of folks listening are used to thinking about small business. It's not like you and me and a friend in our garage, (laughs) you know, doing a lifestyle business. It can be, you know, up to a thousand employees or something that people have, but it's still as a sector, when you look at it compared to a lot of other things that are going on, it's a place where we have so much chance for innovation. You know, it's, it's like a chance as I came onto main street and I saw what was happening in my own local community where it literally can make, a huge difference in someone's business as we get to know each other and as we work and share. Like we can we can help really transform each other's business just even on the same square block when people begin to tune in in a different way, in a collaborative way, and in a collective way as we start to see, you know, what we can do as a community. Absolutely. And I think it's great for people who have had what we might call more traditional online businesses, which is funny to say traditional online business, but, you know, um, businesses that have that, like, I, I think you get to a point to where you realize you're in an echo chamber, right? You, re- you realize you're saying the same thing and you think everybody knows and says and think the same thing that you do until you get the hell out of the office and from behind the screens And you realize like, wait a second, like all of this sort of stuff that is common knowledge or groupthink or whatever it might be in this echo chamber that I am, this is brand new stuff. This is life-changing stuff. So, I mean, I'm just going to pick on sort of the basics of digital marketing, right? Um, Which are basic to us. But when you go on the street, like there are a lot of small business owners who still don't understand the power of an email list or even what an email list is, an email marketing is, right? 
And I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying it's a new thing, right, um, for them. And so if you have um, that type of expertise um, or you have that type of awareness, you could be a huge catalyst for growth for a business that's right next door to you or where you go and get donuts from or whatever it is just by talking to them about some of these very basic things, um, basic giving the sort of new economy style businesses that we run, they're complete game changers for that plumber that's been working his or her tail off, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and scrambling for clients. It's like, you know, have you put your people on an email list and have you sent them, you know, a message once a quarter and asked them how their pipes are doing? You'd be surprised how much business you can get by that. Um, those types of things is how we enable in a lot of ways, community prosperity. And, you know, in the business world, there's the pro-big and the pro-small sort of camps, mm-hmm. right? Um, because the pro-big argument is sim- essentially the big companies, Apple, Amazon, um, Dell, um, you know, GE, all of those companies, that they generate wealth um, for our society, right? That's the argument. It's like you need those big companies. Well, the thing about it is small businesses distribute wealth. Right. So we need both. Right. We do need the wealth engines that come from this. And I love my Apple computer as much as anybody else does. Right. But we also need these other vehicles because it's small business that are hiring local teenagers to work in them. It's small business that are hiring recently graduated college students and giving them. It's small businesses that are picking up the slack when it comes to um, seniors who are wanting to reenter the workforce, right, and wanting to do different things. All of those types of things are happening in the small business sector, mm-hmm. not necessarily the big business sector, right? And so I think there's a lot more ways in which people who are wondering how to respond to the times that we're in um, you know, a lot of ways that you could do that is get involved local business, but also local politics, but we're not going to talk about local politics. We're going to talk about local business. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I, I think it, you know, I've, one of the, the reasons why I wrote body of work, my last book was because I felt like we were worshiping a certain work mode and definitely, you know, working for yourself was the only way. And then there's all this, you know, we must be free, get your boot off my neck, you know, get away from the, the man. Obviously, I also wrote Escape from Cubicle Nation, where some <laughs> people think that, you know, because I wrote the book of Escaping Cubicle Nation, that I think it's a horrible place to be. I, I love my time in my cubicle. I'm the first to admit, you know, I had my post-it notes and freshly sharpened pencils. And, you know, I had a good, I had a good time. It's really about how people find a work mode that is resonant with them. And then you just start to see, again, for the trends that are happening for large companies that are shedding a lot of their full-time employee workforce, and they're going to be hiring a whole range of consultants and freelancers and independent folks who will be in a whole range of different configurations. Some of them are going to be in firms. Some of them are going to be, you know, in just independent people who are working for themselves. So it's, um, it, it really does give us a lot of options and how it is that we think about things. And to me, one of the most interesting parts of being able to be in this hyper local and yet digital world is looking at 
significant social or community issues through the lens also of what we can do in business. When one of my dear friends, Susan Beyer, who I mentioned that I'm mastermind partners with, um, her child is transgender. And so she's been super active in, uh, there's an organization called One in 10, which I'm not sure if it's a national organization, but here in Arizona, it's for LGBTQ um, youth and their families. And it provides a lot of support for folks. And one of the things that can be heartbreaking and staggering when you look at statistics for especially transgender youth is um, life expectancy, you know, 23 years old life expectancy, Mm. huge, super high suicide rates. There's very specific uh, challenges that can happen for transgender youth when they're trying to enter the workforce and they can receive a lot of resistance. They can have threats of physical harm by, you know, sharing themselves um, sometimes, um, you know, in public. And so this is where part of what Susan and I are talking about, where we can be thinking about how can we be bringing the very best resources from folks that we know about creating Etsy stores or, you know, marketing funnels and being able to have businesses that we know may not rely just solely on having an outside presence that would be a perfect kind of a fit for some of these youth who are feeling exceptionally vulnerable. And um, a lot of them are feeling like the only option that they have is, is the sex trade you know, for, for staying off the streets because many of them are rejected by their own families and are kicked out of their homes. So things like that get me super passionate and excited when you think about the intersectional way that we can start to bring people who are facing really serious issues and, you know, talk about a relevant social issue for today's political environment. You know, I think transgender youth are extremely, extremely impacted right now, you know, and feeling afraid and feeling not wanted and all of that. So imagine if we put a lot of our heads together of ways that we can help them feel strong, clear, empowered, safe, and economically taken care of. You know, I just think that is cool that we can start to do that work. It's absolutely cool. And there's multiple layers that we can work on. For instance, um, I work with a lot of clients now on hiring and scaling up their teams. And one of the questions, one of my standard questions is, what are we doing to be intentional about diversity and inclusion in our hiring price practices? Right. So it's not only can we make a small business that, that or can we enable these tools so that transgender people can start their own businesses that, that maybe um, will provide this economic relief, but it's also how do we with existing businesses that are looking for talent be intentional about providing an atmosphere for people from diverse backgrounds to work in, right? Yeah. Because we have that choice. We can redefine that. We, and, you know, there are certain pitfalls that we have to look out for. But again, um, it's really about looking at one's business um, and looking at business tools as a vehicle for social change, right? And being intentional about that rather than um, just, again, kind of going with the flow um, because that's a lot we can't change, right? There's a lot that we can't change going on wherever, right? But what we can change is how we're setting up opportunities for people to create different economic arrangements, whether that's entrepreneurship, whether that's a more freelance model, whether that's multiple part-time jobs, whether that's a full-time job, right? Whether that's education models, like I'm I'm really... um, I'm really inspired and happy to be a part of the Wayfinding Academy, right? Who's really looking at alternative arrangements for, um, for, for students and just not making 
students into commodities and products and saying that there is one way to, to, to go through this, right? There are all sorts of things that we can create mm -hmm. to solve these problems, right? And it's way more than just making money. It's so true. And, and what's so interesting to me is what a lot of folks will ask when they walk in the door as we're catching up on what's going on in business is they're like, oh, so you're a nonprofit. You know, you must be a nonprofit because we have that old model of if we want to be looking at any kind of social issues, then of course it has to be just through the model of being a nonprofit and kind of, you know, doing your charity work or giving back or I, I don't know why it makes me mad. Why does it make me mad to talk about giving back? There's nothing wrong with being generous, but I'm talking about like actually building into the way that we do our business, intelligent, innovative models. And there has been a lot of innovation in this for people looking at social enterprises and B Corps and just, you know, ways that you can, you can begin to structure your business. But I think there, there's so much we can do. There's so much more than we, that we can do than we realize even just by beginning to ask those questions, like you're talking with your clients about how can we be more in, in, intentional about how it is that we're hiring? How can we, is there anything we're doing in our business that may make certain people feel really unsafe in working with us? How much awareness do we have about our own background, our own biases, the own, you know, way we, we come across? What are ways that when, you know, I, I screw up every single day of my life. Um, as much as I have a lot of folks around me who are constantly sharing different perspectives about what it means to be growing up in a non-white suburban environment, like, you know, like I grew up, grew up in. Um, and so there's constant learning that you can do, but there's also such tremendous change and innovation that can happen by beginning to make some of these intentional shifts. And I always think about, it, I'm such a toward pleasure person in that whole motivational direction scale. Like I just, that, that's, that's my jam. And I've just begun to realize that, that it, it doesn't, I can look at, um, huge challenges. And it's not like I'm afraid to look at the hard stuff because that's part of what it is that I do in, in my work is, is to have hard conversations, whether it be in business growth or personal growth kinds of things. But it's more in looking at what we can do if we are specifically addressing issues, if we are including a definition of success to not just be personal financial gain, but also the health and well-being of our surrounding community, of fellow business owners, of people who may not be employed. When we start to <clears throat> really change the way that we look at that, I think that is the way that the world is going. I think a lot of folks now, a lot of friends that I have, folks of color, folks that might come from um, from different backgrounds are getting exceptionally tired of the status quo and are basically saying, you know what, I am not going to be voting with my wallet for people who never, ever, ever demonstrate that they have any commitment at all to my community. How come I never see anybody that looks like me on stage? How, how come I never see you actually talking about a client, you know, that, that comes from my background? And, um, and so I think that over time, that is a bit of the, you know, old 
dinosaur way of being. And that is not going to be the way it is forever. And there are these amazing, powerful communities that are growing with or without the dominant culture, you know, and many times specifically against the dominant culture. So, you know, there's huge positive benefit that I see in doing that, just enrichment and growth and um, all these, all these things. But there's also, if you're making a choice to just close your eyes and pretend that it's not there, there are going to be real implications for that, for you and your business. Absolutely. And I, I want to pull back something that you started with the anger about um, giving back to the community. And I, I think that's one of the really limiting beliefs that, that we have is that focusing on these things is a cost thing, right? It's yeah. going to cost a lot to do, yeah. it, right? Well, it turns out when you do the work, it doesn't, right? Yeah. It doesn't cost nearly as much as you think, but the gain is huge, right? The gain is huge because um, we have more and more data. I don't have it off the top of my head, unfortunately, that um, people from diverse communities actually proactively seek out businesses and organizations that support their community. And so right. by not, by being silent about it, you're actually losing customers. You're losing um, market share in a population, right? That would otherwise, you know, it's really one of these things are strongly opposed to organizations that don't support them, but they're also strongly supportive of organizations that do, right? And so I think we're not accessing, or we're not really assessing the cost of silence and the cost of inactivity <laughs> as one of those opportunity costs. We just look at the cost of making a different choice and that's a lot of times what we have when we're making decisions, right? We take sort of the status quo and the status quo gets like a free ride. Like it doesn't cost us anything just to do hmm. status quo. It's yeah. always the change that costs, right? But when you really do a full audit of the decisions being made, mm -hmm. the status quo has a cost, right? Yeah. Um, the change has a cost, but they also have gains, right? They also have major gains. And that's really what I want people to think about in these conversations is not like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of work. It's like, really, what are you losing by not doing that? And if you put it both on the table and you say, you know what, I don't have the resources. It's not the direction of my business. It's not something that I can engage in knowing full well the benefits and the cost. Then that's one thing. But just to be like, oh, it's going to take additional effort. Well, yeah, it's going, to, like, it's going to take some additional effort to make a different decision that you've been making, but what's the cost of your current set of decisions? What's the cost of your yeah. current strategy? Let's put that on the table too. Yeah, it, absolutely. And it, it's, just, it's been so interesting to see it not only in the business community, in, in like the small business community that I've been connecting with here locally for folks who are sm supporting small businesses, but just also opening up new opportunities for working with nonprofits, working with different, you know, government sectors. I, I've been really pleasantly surprised as I've come here. I've lived in Mesa for 15 years, but I haven't, I really have not been an active community member whatsoever. Like I just didn't put any energy at all before. So I just showed up really as a stranger on the street of my hometown <laughs> that I've been in for 15 years. But every group that I've met with has been super open and excited, you know, from the mayor, the head of economic development to just individual business owners. And again, like we can get really we can feel defeated and feel really bleak and so forth. But then when you actually begin to go out and talk to people and begin to get certain things going, and if you have an orientation 
toward being somebody who likes to build community, uh, knowing not everybody is. You and I have talked a lot about the Maven connector salesman, salesperson um, kind of distinctions that Malcolm Gladwell made in Tipping Point. You know, not everybody is going to get great joy at building community. That tends to be something for me that's really important. But you can still be really deliberate about how it is that you're reaching out and seeing opportunities that that didn't exist before. And, and, you know, I, I love doing that, um, with clients that are just working on their marketing plan. You know, what are, what are different avenues that you may not have considered at all of ways that certain groups may be interested in your, in your services? Yeah. You know, I think the challenge and, and you, you brought it up is, um, as, as I've been talking to different people about involvement at, at this type of involvement in the community, it's just awkwardness of being in the community for so long, but not really being involved. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of show up like, I'm here, like, let, let's do great stuff together, right? And like, where have you been for the last, you know, eight years? Come on, guy, right? And I know that feels super awkward. Um, and what I normally will encourage people is saying, you're like, wait, going tomorrow is not going to feel any less awkward, <laughs> Right. And there have been people from those communities themselves that haven't shown up in a certain way. Like we all have work to do and there's never a bad time to start the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Right? And so if you've been kind of stuck, like, ah, like I've, I've, I've been on the sidelines and I haven't been involved and I real feel, I feel like I want to, but it's awkward that I haven't. And like, yes, that's true. It's awkward. It's ha- you haven't been, it's all good get involved today, right? Start making different choices today because it's not going to be any easier tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Have you, you, I know when you, after you came to Portland, you did make some deliberate moves toward meeting people from some different sectors, right? Not just the online world. What were some of the successes that you've had, like working locally in Portland? I I don't mean just like the fact that you happen to get work from those sources, but what have been like enriching experiences that you've had? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, I did a lot of that and I worked with largely um, the investor community. It was really one of the first places that I went to. And that's an odd choice, but I made that choice because I realized that, wait a second, I have a foothold into that particular community. If I can get, use that foothold to advance the other parts of the community, then that's a better strategic move for me to make. And so really um, getting involved in that community and seeing what's going on and figuring out how decisions are made about companies and investment and things like that, super important um, avenue of, of, of work there. Um, it really wasn't until last year, though, sis, that I started um, going into um, a lot more diverse communities. Actually, that's not true. It was two years ago. No, three years ago time flies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, getting involved in um, more of the native community that's here, um, especially the spiritual native community, which may not be the um, genetic native community. You know what I mean on that one, sis, where it's like mm-hmm. um, that going on and I'm doing more now to support um, the black community in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and largely I see myself in this one as a bridger between the different communities Um, and so I think, um, I'm trying to think of specific results, which I normally, when I'm doing networking, I don't think that way. Um, I think of, of how we've tied these together. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, not just business, but just, you know, kind of insight, awareness, 
things that you might have gained by, you know, connecting with different people, seeing a different insight that can impact also the, you know, the, the coaching work that you've done. Cause yeah, some of it's just pure, like creative fodder, you know, for really thinking in a different way about how it is that you do your day-to-day work. So one thing that's been really amazing for me personally is that it's made me focus on um, simple but universal messages that apply across communities. And as a maven myself, that's actually really hard work. You know, that's this where it's like getting an idea. So how do we talk about, say, productivity, Um, which you don't realize how gendered productivity is and how um, how class biased productivity is. Yes. Until you start having a conversation about productivity across different communities. Right. Um, And so that, to be honest, that's where more of the start finishing the stuff that matters has started to come up more because Mm -hmm. when, because there's such, there could be such resistance to productivity, what it means, time management, um, the priorities. So productivity in a large, in in a large way of saying, I'm going to be brief here um, has been a male and white driven conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's been people who have been exploited in the name of productivity. (laughs) Right. Um, And so going into certain communities and talking about productivity, you're walking in with a completely different way of understanding that, even if they understand that there are multiple aspects to that conversation. Right. Um, And so just really understand like, wow, like I, I really had not considered that because of different factors, but just having that brought to your attention is like, Oh Yeah. Let's, let's have a deeper conversation about what we're talking about, right? And um, how can we make, say, um, so now when I teach more about productivity, I'm, one of the first things I'll say is one of the pillars of productivity is actually self-care, right? Very different, a very different approach, but when you see how the conversation around just productivity and strategy execution has been used as a lever to push people into depletion, to push people into overwork and sickness and being disenfranchised from their community for the sake of being more productive at work. Mm-hmm. Right. You can start to see like, wait a second, we need to have a different conversation about productivity. Um, we need to have a different conversation about strategy execution. We need to have a different conversation about what it means to be a successful founder, because if being a successful entrepreneur and a successful founder means that you have to distance yourself from your family, means you have to distance yourself from your community, means you have to distance yourself from your spirituality. It means you have to distance, you'd have to distance yourself from what matters most to you. We are fundamentally having a bad conversation about, about um, being a founder and being an entrepreneur. So it's just conversations that when you get outside of this echo chamber of a certain way of thinking about things. And again, a lot of the conversations around small business, business in general, have frankly come from a certain class of people yes. with certain ends, right? That may not have addressed the long-term cost of that way of thinking on the people who have been primarily the people doing the labor and not being compensated for it or yes. not, not being rewarded for it in certain ways. What an awesome example of the ways in which by tuning into different parts of your community and making connections where you can have that awareness. And it's deep. It's so deep when you start to look at it. It's the total matrix, if 
hopefully people have seen that movie. If not, you need to, to get the metaphor. But once you begin to see it, you cannot unsee it. Our friend Marissa Brocky wrote a really awesome post about some of the principles that she believes. And one of the things that she was saying is work always goes somewhere. So we can talk about outsourcing everything and, you know, doing your highest leverage work and all of that, right? And yet, when you look at some of the models, as you've said, as to if you're outsourcing it somewhere, where is it going? And is there a living wage for the people? There are somebody who is, people are doing that work. And when you look all the way through it, the implications of how it is that you're running your business, are you creating a structure which surprise to surprise, giving our historical context, could be exploiting the many, and especially those without resources, and especially those that are brown in this country, right, for the benefit of a few. And it's just, it's so interesting how, again, it can be infuriating and frustrating and enlightening and enraging when you begin to see that. And then you also realize we can choose to do something in a different way. We can be taking into consideration, broadening the definition of what we consider success to be in a way that is going to be just for all people. And like you said, it's a big, huge, massive endeavor because we have generations and generations of things being a certain way. But, you know, it's... It's for me, it's been some of the most rewarding work that I've ever done just to realize that there are different ways that we can choose to be in community. And um, so that's that's awesome. I love that example. I think it's super powerful. And it's just, you know, as, as you start to look at it, it's the, the thing large companies do when they start to go to their supply chains and you begin to look at, mm-hmm. um, I remember a story, I think it was Patagonia or something, you know, where like you look at the supply chains where you have your own employees and you can say, we have all ethical practices and so forth. Then you look at who are those suppliers and then who are the suppliers of those suppliers. And when you start to go back and you can look sometimes at these long chains within huge corporate organizations is where you can start to see some really terrifying things. And I I think this may be the point (laughs) where the giving back part gets me because very often our charitable contributions are going to be going towards things like modern day slave labor, which when you start to look at and deconstruct how it is that those things are flourishing, it's often because of the way that certain, you know, economic systems are built. Not always. And again, like I, I'm not anti-volunteerism or charity or anything like that, but it's just the way we tend to look at it, I think, is often as something that you can choose to do once you have amassed as much of your personal wealth as possible. And like, why not maybe be creative into how you can be doing the work with people as equals who may just be coming from very different situations than, than you're in. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we talked about this, Pam, like one of the struggles that I've had in productive flourishing is to, I've always had a strong um, resistance to, um, outsourcing to like India or the Philippines or, you know, some of those models, because it seems really hypocritical for me to look at Ford and me to look at Ream and Whirlpool and complain about them outsourcing jobs all over the, all over the place, but then to do it in my own business. Right. Um, I was like that, 
I, I, I am not absolved of that decision any more than the CEO of those companies are, right? Yeah. Um, and that I think is where you do can you can get some tension because you know were we to look at the bottom line of my company, we might say, you know what, if I hired um, people from the Philippines to do some of the jobs that that I'm hired uh, that I've hired people in my local community, but also in my nation to do, then you know I wouldn't be spending as much in salaries and things like that. Um, at the same time, I haven't worked out that tension of the fact that like, you know, I think it's important that we, um, that our businesses support our communities and our nations as much as possible and when feasible, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, maybe one day I'll resolve that tension. But for now, it's like I have a strong bias for hiring people from the States, hiring people local when possible, um, because that's one way in which this business that I'm building and the business that I, you know, that I want to live in, that I hope my team continues to want to live and work in, like, it doesn't seem fair, equitable, right? It just feels wrong to mm-hmm. have this business that really benefits me and maybe Angela. Um, but then um, that's all it really impacts as far as that goes. I'm like, no, well, like we currently have um, five employees in our business, right? And so there are five people um, who we can, um, take care of in certain ways through our business. Now, the other argument is that like for some of those positions, those are really good jobs for people in India and the Philippines, in the Philippines and things like that. But Mm -hmm. so I understand that part of the argument, but I'm just saying like, if it's important for us to support our neighbors, we get to vote with our dollars. And that also means as business owners, we get to vote with how we, um, prioritize expenses and to whom those, those, that those dollars go to. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I tended to, to not look so much through the national lens and maybe it's just kind of in living in some different countries or kind of thinking about it. it it's, it is, it's, there can be businesses that you have and business models that you have that involve people from different regions of the world. And it's more, as you're saying, what is the way in which you are really, in which you really know, what is that situation for people who are working all the way through in every position, right? That are in different places. And there, there definitely are, are certain places where you can get a lower wage comparatively from the U S that have very, um, negative employment practices and all of that, you know? So it's just kind of, it's thinking it through from the perspective of who you are and what's the kind of business, you know, that you want to have, but it, it keeps coming to me. And this, this is more of of a spiritual foundation. It's, it's for me personally, you know, if you really do believe that people are fundamentally, not by (laughs) our social and political power constructs that we've created on top of that, but fundamentally, if we are all born as equal, equally valuable, equally cherished human beings with all of this history of how it is that we built structures that don't reinforce that, you know, how can we begin to deconstruct it in a way that, you know, that really is useful and not just think about people as, Oh yeah, outsource all of that. You know, you can do all that for seven bucks an hour. Why are you paying somebody 50 bucks an hour? Like there are actual implications of that. So I, I love where the, where the conversation went because so much of it is just beginning to think in a different way and in a broader way. And as we're saying, there can be, there, 
it, it can be eye-opening to look at some of the choices that we're making about how it is that we're running our business um, that you might find are either in alignment or not in alignment with your values. But there also are these other opportunities that I think you can find where when you do start to open, connect with other people, look at different perspectives, that it can bring a lot of innovation and abundance and new jobs and new opportunities for a lot of people. Absolutely. And that, and that's been my journey with the whole hiring American sort of thing is like, I'm like, well, but what if hiring this person and I know the context actually, you know, makes a lot of difference for this particular family or this particular region yeah. that, that builds that, you know, that abundance there. Like that's a consideration too. And I think the point is not to be, um, not to be so prescriptive about it, but just to start asking those questions about how are you intentionally um, making choices in your business that benefit your local community, your national community, your global community, um, people who aren't, who you wouldn't recognize as part of your sort of natural community, but are still in your community. Like that's really, I think the opportunity that we have Mm-hmm. Um, and on on days when I'm feeling um, feeling um, particularly um, I don't know what the word is, but particularly fired up, I would say it's not only is our opportunity, it's also our responsibility, mm-hmm. right, to consider those because we are making a choice one way or the other. Yeah, Let's at least be intentional about it. Yeah, it's hard to convince folks of a responsibility. (laughs) Um, And it is important to do that. I think that's part of the continuum. So just like you were saying before, you know, I I have a lot of conversations with my husband about this, about different ways in which social change can happen. Personally, I see this really big continuum and you have people who are risking everything sometimes, including their life to be on the front lines of, you know, facing injustices, staring down, you know, heavy equipment, being shot at, all of those things that people do in the name that can call attention to things in a different way than other things can happen. And then there's all these other ways in which people can also choose to be part, you know, of, of positive change. And I think part of, part of our job is in helping to show that, all the benefits that can come from thinking outside of a, I want to gain everything for me, build my empire kind of model. You know, it, there really are amazing, wonderful benefits that can come from thinking that way. And so I'm, I'm super excited, you know, about it. I'm excited about your journey as I, as I see you getting more into it. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear from other folks listening as well. Like, what are your thoughts about it? How much have you really analyzed it? So hopefully I can follow up with some of the comments that come after this episode. All righty. Well, and to wrap it up, since you're the guest for today's jam, you get to leave our audience with an invitation or challenge, whichever one more resonates with you, right? And so looking at the conversation, what would you invite our listeners to do or challenge them to do? Mm. What, what I would invite you to do is to... Um, Ask yourself the question. This is something that comes right from the heart of the talk that I did at Camp GLP. And that is to look at your community. And let's look at it. Are most people business owners, do you think, that are listening to this? Okay, we'll say that. Look at your business. And and maybe for this case, we can define your community as people who are really showing up um, 
and participating in your community and, you know, um, paying for your services and products and all of that. And so notice and celebrate who it is that is here. Ask yourself who is not here. Then ask yourself, why are they not here? And then ask yourself, how might you begin to build some invitations, bridges with people who may not be here, who you really want to be here? The, the whole component of understanding why people may not be here can be a long, deep, profound personal journey. And I'll tell you, you will not figure it all out in your own head. This is about listening. This is about lots of time that you can spend with folks who maybe showed up once in your community and then never came back. If you're brave enough to really listen with humility to what their experience is, I think you can learn a lot of things that can make you much more capable of creating an environment where more people are going to be excited to show up and feel safe and feel welcome and feel honored. And um, I think that's good for everybody. Thanks so much. As always, um, love talking to you, love jamming with you. <laughs> Likewise. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Pam. What can you do in your organization, in your business, in your nonprofit to make it an environment such that people who are not included, who don't feel belong, um, feel included and feel belong or, and feel like they have a place to come in? What can you do to invite them? And what small step will you make in the next week to invite people who are not in your community to join your community? Until next time, stand tall. If you like this episode and want another conversation with me and Pam, you might want to check out episode one of The Creative Giant Show. Yes, Pam was the first guest on The Creative Giant Show. She's a dear friend and was with me from the beginning. So I wanted to make sure that she was the first um, interviewee that we kicked off in um, this podcast. So go check it out. If you're digging The Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.